You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. Let's turn to God's Word and uh, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4. And you'll find that on page 1006, on page 1006. We all have something growing inside us. There's always stuff going on inside, in a physical sense, in an emotional sense, in a spiritual sense. And uh, I, I mean, our bodies are amazing things. We've been praying for people, for example, who have cancer. Uh, some of us will be sitting here uh, feeling incredibly healthy, and yet we don't know what's going on inside us. And it is true, and I'm, I'm not meaning to be miserable at all, but it is true that for every single one of us, there is what Paul calls death and decay uh, within us. There is renewal, there's wonderful things that happen, there is healing, but we don't have uh, eternal life in our bodies, our minds. Uh, dementia is a major, major problem and an increasing problem for many, many people. Um, in other words, we're not, none of us are getting any younger. Yet in the Bible, we are told, in contrast to that, about, for example, Paul saying, outwardly we're wasting away, but inwardly we're being renewed day by day. And what I want to look at this morning is a huge, huge thing. The two parables which Jesus uh, offers, if you like, the antidote to the diseases of body, mind, and spirit within us. So if you turn to Mark chapter 4 and verse 26, we're going to look at two parts of this. He also said, this is what uh, the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces corn, first the stalk, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. Now, I want to suggest to you that Christianity, I was going to say religion, but I don't mean religion, I mean biblical Christianity, and those words are carefully used as well. I don't mean unbiblical Christianity. I want to suggest to you that it is like a good virus. There are bad viruses and there are good viruses. Um, we use the language, those of us, most of us use computers or smartphones or whatever. And you can have malware, which is bad. Um, and it can lie there for a long, long time without you ever knowing that you've got it. But if you like, I don't know what the opposite of malware is, goodware or something. Someone can invent it. Um, but as Christians, we should be going around, um, if you like, infecting people with the opposite of malware in a, in a human sense. And I, I love these two parables we're going to look at, the parable of the growing seed and the parable of the mustard seed, because they show how God is at work. Now, here's a key question. How can you know that God is at work in your, in your heart? How can you possibly know that? How do you not know that you're just deluding yourself. 
How can we know that God is at work within this church or God is at work within this community or God is at work within this city? It can't just be by numbers. It can't just be by what we say and it can't even just be by what we do. How does God work? And this is why I I love this because there is something in this teaching of Jesus which gives enormous encouragement no matter what our circumstances are. So firstly, we're going to look at the growth of God within our hearts. Um, This, by the way, is the only parable which uh, Mark alone tells us. Three things about it. First of all, there is growth. That's the point. Uh, It is quiet. It is continuous. It is almost inevitable. We do not make it grow. We do not need to be anxious and struggle. It is a mystery. If you are a farmer or a gardener and you go out and you plant your seed, I guess if you're uh, not a very good farmer and not a very good gardener or you know nothing about farming and nothing about gardening, it's possible that you might, like a child with a tomato plant, sit there and stare at it, waiting for it to grow. You may try different ways to try and make it grow, but almost anything that you do that tries to speed up the process will do it harm. It just grows. Now, the example that Jesus uses, he says we we don't really understand how that happens today because I think uh, of modern science, we understand a whole lot more about how it happens, and yet it is still uh, an incredibly wonderful thing. Well, that is true in terms of spiritual growth. It's why all these books and, and plans and programs for spiritual growth do A and B and C, and then you will end up with this. It's why it doesn't really make sense. Because the word of God, the way that God works, is dynamic. It is living. It's not formulaic. In verse 28, let me just go back, sorry, to verse 28. You'll see all by itself it grows. All by itself the soil produces corn. Now what, do, what does that mean? How does that apply spiritually? The seed needs the right conditions for growth. We need God to be working. There isn't a single thing that I or anyone else can do to make you a Christian. There isn't a single thing that I or anyone else can do to make you grow as a Christian or anything that I can do for myself that will make me grow. I need God to be at work. It is God who is the author of life. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. And please note the capital there. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from, where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now, astonishingly, what some Christian churches have done, well-meaning, because they care for people, is to say, okay, you need to be born again, so this is how it happens. And so you might get, for example, you come down to the front and say this prayer, that's how you're born again. No, it's not. That's not what Jesus says. What Jesus is describing there is something He's describing something. It's not a command. He's not saying, right, now you go out and be born again. He's saying, God needs to work in your life. You can't just bring this up by yourself or people can't make it happen within you. Human beings cannot create 
life. We cannot create life from nothing. God alone can do that. And there's a power in this idea of spiritual growth, and I'm going to equate this, as you'll see, with the Word of God and with uh, God communicating that through His Spirit. But we are dealing with here something here that is incredibly powerful. Um, we are trying to lay down some stones at the front of the manse, and uh, you've got all these, you've got tons of this stuff, uh, stones, and there's two packages of um, kind of plastic that you've got to put down first. Why? Because you can put down as many stones as you want, but the life is still going to find a way through. Weeds are an incredible example of life, actually. Uh, and I think it's a, a great encouragement for those of us who are believers in God and his power to realize it's not, you know, sometimes in churches you get people saying, well, God's power is, I hold it in my hand and I zap you and you fall over. No, the amazing thing about God's power is right now, as God's word is being taught, and as God's word is being read, and as God's word is being prayed, and as God's word is being sung, all by itself, if you like, that work goes on in your life. You'll notice also that this growth is gradual. The work of grace goes on in the heart by degrees. Now, there are people who go there comes a point where you are born, and there comes a point where you are born again. But very often, we're not aware of that. And uh, at least the second one. For some people, their conversion, they've, they've never heard anything about Jesus Christ at all. They walk into a church like this, they hear the word of God, bang. It's just very, very dramatic. There is what is, is deemed to be Paul's uh, Damascus Road experience. Well, when you think about Paul's experience, isn't it interesting that it didn't begin on the Damascus Road? He heard Stephen preach, and he was there approving when Stephen was uh, martyred. And on the Damascus Road, he may have come to believe in Jesus, but he was blinded, and he needed someone to come to him and tell him. So I think even in Paul's case, it was a, a gradual process. For most of us, we don't have that Damascus Road experience, but what happens is things begin to, to change for us. I remember one man writing me, and he'd been very antagonistic and very opposed, and I'd suggested to him that if he was going to be like that, he should at least read the Bible so that he should know what he was opposed to. And after a few weeks, he wrote me and said, basically, dear David, uh, I've started doing what you've said. I've started, he said, I've done it the wrong way. He said, I've been reading the King James Version and I didn't do what you said. I started at Genesis 1 and I'm now at Genesis 38. And I think, oh my goodness, when he gets to Leviticus and Numbers, is he going to stick at it? And then he just made this amazing statement. He said, it's beginning to have an impact. I'm beginning to think it might be true. And he said, I feel different, even just reading God's word. The growth is gradual. The work of grace in the heart goes on by degrees. There may be only the slightest spark of spiritual life, but it is life. There is progress from the blade to the ear to the full grain, and it continues to produce gradual fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. The path of the righteous, says Proverbs, is like the first gleam of dawn, shining ever brighter till the full light of day. 
I do think that some of us as evangelical Christians have got the emphasis slightly wrong. We've got this big bang conversion and then gradual decline until you die and finally scrape into heaven. What about the other way around? What about if it's God's just like, why are we teaching the children the word of God? I think it's quite wrong to manipulate and to try and say, well, go on, please say this. Please say you've given your life to Jesus as though that's for our comfort. Why don't you just trust God's word that it will work within the lives of our children? The growth is gradual. And then thirdly, there'll be a harvest. Now, I think that harvest is a warning of judgment as well. Swing the sickle for the harvest is ripe. Or Revelation 14. I looked and there before me was a white cloud and seated on the cloud was one like a son of man with a crown of gold on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Then another angel came out of the temple and called in a loud voice to him who was sitting on the cloud. Take your sickle and reap because the time to reap has come for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who was seated on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth and the earth was harvested. I think there is a warning about that. But here, I think it is primarily about the seed being left to grow until it is ready. It's an incredible thought that for the believer, death comes at just the right time. Seems strange, doesn't it? It's a man buried out there, Robert Murray McShane, died when he was 29. That's not the way we would do it. Surely he could have lived on and preached for many, many years and many more people being converted. But death came at just the right time. Through illness, through visiting a sick child, that's how death came to him. But his ministry was done and his life was done. The ultimate fruit is to be with Christ. So that first parable just tells us that God works within our life. He works gradually. He works inevitably. He works powerfully. But then Jesus goes on to give another parable. Again, he said, what should we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable should we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant in the ground. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. So much so that did the seed grow that a horse could shelter under it. The birds used to gather in it because they liked the little black seeds. And Jesus is teaching a very simple principle here. That the church may be small at times, but it will grow. The kingdom of God is not the geographical reign. This is not Christian ISIS drawing up maps of where we want to conquer the world. It's the reign of God in human lives. It's a sowing, a growing, and a reaping. And just to notice some things. Firstly, the church begins small. The New Testament church began small and weak and despised. I always find it intriguing how many Christians just buy into a whole prosperity gospel and theology which says we need to have this big church. And that's how it needs to begin, even when you're doing church planting It seems to me that many Christians just want to do church transplanting, taking people from one context into another one. Church planting, almost by definition, begins small. Remember a man coming to, said, he told me that he felt that God had called him to help in our church plant in St. Andrews. And he came to see me and on the Monday he stayed the weekend and on the Monday he said, I can't do it, I can't do it. I said, why not? 
He said, there's no children in the church. He said, what are my children going to do? I said, well, somebody has to be first. That's kind of like an obvious point. And he said, no, I'm not. I mean, basically what he wanted was the full works. He wanted youth group. He wanted everything. And he wanted us to have all that. And then he would come and lead that particular group. Well, that's not how it worked. Um, God worked slowly, but surely in St. Andrews. And now if you were to go across to St. Andrews, the congregation is growing and thriving and developing. The church will begin small. We're thinking about um, church planting work in Charleston. And if you've got any sense at all, you'll look at that and you go, oh no, how can we do it? The answer is we can't. But it begins small. We sow the seed of God's word. I mean, just look at this even in a physical sense. You, with all these new babies that come into the church, um, if you, they're just so tiny. Well, even our kind of six foot five guys, at one point you were tiny. At one point you were just a blob. And that is so often how the church grows and develops. Because it does grow. In the New Testament, there was growth at Antioch and Ephesus and Philippi and Rome. There was growth in North Africa and Spain and eventually in Britain. Throughout history, the church has grown and it still continues to grow. You always read these doom and gloom predictions. Um, You kind of get two extremes, don't you? You get people constantly saying revival's just around the corner. Or you get other people saying, uh, I read an article this week about the Anglican church being extinct within 25 years and the Church of Scotland likewise. And sometimes you do wonder. I read in an evangelical magazine a while ago this fo- the following, I find prayer particularly difficult as it reinforces my smallness. I prefer to refer to God as God's self as it frees me from negative gender-based associations. Now, when I start reading garbage like that, I think, this is in an evangelical church? Come on, this is crazy. This is absolutely crazy. I can't pray because it makes me feel small. Well, you are small. You're tiny. I'm small. We're tiny. When did we want to make God like us? And when you see how the church is going, you just go, oh, no. But God's word will bring growth. That's what Jesus is saying. Even within the UK today, there is growth, and we must expect that. There's a scientific experiment that is done with uh, dyes. You can take a large bowl of water, you can take some dye, and you drop it in one by one. And the first drop that goes in, there appears to be a little difference. The second drop, not that much more difference. The third drop, not that much more. But you keep doing it drop by drop, and eventually the whole bowl is colored. The birds sheltering in the branches of The church, as Augustine has it, and I like this actually. I know sometimes Augustine goes a bit far in his detailed analysis, but I like this, where he says it's indicative of the church gathering people from everywhere and being a refuge for people from everywhere. That tiny seed of the gospel that's planted in your heart and in your mind, who knows how massive that will grow? And the church will continue to grow. How do we know that? Because God says so. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Uh, for those of you who are into theology, amillennial, premillennial, postmillennial, some of you haven't a clue what I'm talking about. Don't worry, it's not that important and people do get worked up about it. But uh, I am most definitely a postmillennialist because I believe that God will bring many, many people 
into his kingdom from throughout the world. I'm not of the view that the church just keeps getting smaller and smaller. I think the church starts small and gets bigger. On the mountain heights of Israel, I will plant it. It will produce branches and bear fruit and become a splendid cedar. Birds of every kind will nest in it. They will find shelter in the shade of its branches. Revelation 7, after this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. We don't believe in a God who has a heaven that is inhabited by a tiny few people. A great multitude that no one could count. We work with confidence waiting for God to fulfill that promise. Zechariah 4 verse 10 says, Who despises the day of small things? Because what begins small may end up having a tremendous impact. One child, one conversion, one word, one seed. Who knows what that may lead to? It's the great hope in all of our work. We were with our friends uh, in the Netherlands. And Case, who was here for the weddings, many of you will have met Case, was telling us how during the Second World War he was in Rotterdam. And of course Rotterdam was bombed first of all by the Germans and of course then by the British as well. And uh, he describes how after two years being in Rotterdam, his parents sent him out to the country. And he went to stay in a small village in the north of the Netherlands with a family who were not Christians. And they said to this family, we are Christians and we read the Bible at every meal. May our son read the Bible at every meal? And they said, of course, of course. And so he read As a boy, I think he was, what, 10, 11 years old, at every meal, he read a few verses. And he said, for the years that he stayed there, never saw it have any impact whatsoever. But but they they were very kind and very gracious people. And he'd go back every year and see them. He loved being with them. And he was telling us that a wee while ago, after 50 years, after 50 years, one of the family asked him to come and see him in hospital because he had cancer and he was dying. And he asked him, what will happen to me when I die? And he asked him about the Bible. And Case was just amazed. 50 years, 50 years before that even happens. But that's how God's word works. Once, if you lose sight of that, you lose sight of everything. Then let me just say something about the last uh, bit of this. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. What is this growth? He spoke as much as they could understand. Well, we've two parables I've just read you are just two samples of Jesus' teaching. Calvin talks about Christ accommodating himself to people's capacity. He was sowing the seed, engaging their interest, and he'd go on to explain everything later. You'll see there, he says, when he was with his disciples, he explained everything. We can listen, we can learn, and as we receive the seed of the word, the kingdom grows within and also out with. And here is the key. If you want a church growth methodology, it is simply this. It is the word of God. It is the teaching of Jesus Christ. And I use those two as synonymous. Some of you will go, yeah, well, I like the teaching of Jesus. It's the rest of the Bible I don't like. Well, then you don't like the teaching of Jesus. Because Jesus taught the Bible. 
You can't divorce the one from the other. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The word of God, the thoughts of God, God spoke and the world came into being. God speaks and the creative word continues to work. He is the ultimate creator. You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass and all their glory is like the flower of the fields. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace, and so on. How do you have that joy? How do you have that peace? We have it through God communicating his word to us. Now, I know that some people immediately go, yeah, what about the Holy Spirit? It's the Holy Spirit who inspires the Word. We're not talking here about people who take the Bible and make it all kind of some kind of intellectual exercise and parsing of this verb and, and analysis of this and, and, and so on. We're not talking like that. We're just saying that God inspired this Word to give to us. Jesus kind of says, come, come, I want to teach you. 1 Corinthians 3, what after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed. Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. I think that's just a, a wonderful, incredible thing. We have to sow, but it's God who gives the increase. You receive the word of God today. What do you do with it? Do you think about it? Talk about it? Meditate upon it? Act upon it? Being doers as well as hearers? Receive it? Believe it? Spread it? I like, by the way, um, when I was looking at this, I I love this idea where it says he explained everything. The word for explain is untie. And sometimes you get yourself tied in real knots, don't you? Real knots. You're worried about this. You're concerned about that. You're confused about this. We need Christ to explain. They were with him. They asked him. We need to say to him, Lord, what does this mean? Lord, speak for your servant is listening. Lord, please explain. Lord, let your work, your word work within me. I was thinking about this and I read this this morning. No one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, he puts it on a stand so that those who come in may see the light. It's about witness, isn't it? Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are good, your whole body also is full of light. But when they are bad, your body also is full of darkness. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. How do we do that? Well, if God's word is light, we need to ask ourselves, what are we feeding ourselves? Just think about how much you take in through your eyes and through your ears. But particularly your eyes. You don't have time to read the Bible. How much YouTube have you watched? You don't have time to sit and share with God's word. How much television have you sat around and watched? 
What are you taking in? We feed the children God's word and people say that's terrible. Do you know that something like 70% of 12-year-olds have seen extreme hardcore pornography on their smartphones? What do you think that's doing to their minds? What do you think that's doing in terms of their hearts? You can't just watch this stuff and not have it affect you. That's exactly what Jesus is saying about the light and the, and the darkness. You put, as a Yorkshire proverb puts it, you muck in, muck out. That's what will happen. Do you know what? There's another side of this in terms of the word of God. I don't know if you saw this this week, but um, I love, sometimes, I mean, science is a wonderful thing, and sometimes what scientists can do is just incredible. There's a problem with salmon, salmon farming. And some of you will know this, many of you won't. Salmon lice. You'll never eat salmon after this. There's just basically loads and loads of lice, and they kill hundreds of thousands of these salmon. So you know what scientists have done? They've developed this fish, and they're just releasing hundreds of thousands of them into the salmon cages who love eating lice. So basically, they're putting these fish in with the salmon, and they're just going along and eating the lice. And I mean, I'm not I'm eating those fish. I'll eat the salmon now. But I just think it's wonderful. Do you know what God is saying about his word? Is take in his word, and it will just gradually work away at all the bad stuff, at all the poison, at all the sin that is in your life, and it will change. That's why hearing the word is so important. Reading, studying, books, and so on, that's great. But there's a special blessing on being gathered together to hear the word of the Lord. Not just listening on podcasts, or online, or on CD, or on radio, but gathering together to hear Jesus explain through his word. We are community. We are family. We're the family of God. We've just been on holiday, and the worst noise, I think, sound, I think our children used to hear on holiday would be, family meeting. And then you just sit and you say, right, what are we going to do today? And da, 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 da. You know, you call a family meeting. Well, that can also be a really positive thing. And what God says to us is, I want you to gather for worship as my people on the, my day that I've given you, with my word that I've given you, with my servants who I'm teaching to teach you, so that you can hear what I have to say. I remember meeting an American pastor in St. Andrews who just, to this day, I'm still astounded at what he said. He said, and this is an evangelical, reformed evangelical. He said, God has told me to take a year off church. Really? Read an article before I went on holiday saying why you shouldn't go to church as a Christian on holiday. Really? That to me is like saying why you shouldn't speak to your family on holiday, which may sound like bliss to some of you, but... That's not a good thing. Or it's like saying, you shouldn't eat on holiday. That's not a good thing either. It's one of the purposes of holiday. (laughs) The diet starts tomorrow. Um, But that's why hearing the word is so important. And that's why evangelism is not divorced from telling the word of Christ. How can they hear without a preacher? We've got a trend that we we want to try and evangelize people by giving them what they want. Oh, we don't want two services on a Sunday or let's just meet and do community. I remember meeting a man once who told me, well, we had this community church. How did it go? Not too well. Why? We got the community bit right. We just forgot about the Bible. So what happened? Well, we collapsed. It's what I'm sorry if you like lattes, but I call it latte Christianity. What should we do today? Let's sit around and have a latte and all be nice to each other and, and talk about our inner beings and meaning and so on. No, I'm sorry. I love you. 
but I don't really want to hear too much all about your inner being. You're not really going to help. I want to hear what God says. And then that will help you, and then we can help each other. Please don't misunderstand me. Community is absolutely essential. But that's why we're given the word that the community of the church might be built up from what God says, not on the personality of the leaders or the fashions of the day or the plus, the people like us whom we like or the whims of each individual, but one built on the word of Christ. If you're a believer, let me just apply this in this way. You need cleaning. If you like, you're like that salmon with all this lice. You've got all this rottenness inside you, as I do as well. And the word of God comes not to condemn you, but to cleanse you. It only wounds in order to heal. It's like, it's a very simple song in one sense, Jesus paid it all. But if you're a Christian and you know that, then what healing and what peace and what joy that brings as God's word comes into you. Maybe you're not yet a believer. We read about it. Born again by the living and enduring word of God. You're in a good place here because you're getting to hear the word of God. And God is working within your life. And we are not, my job is not to try and convert you. That's what God does. I can't do that. Only God does that. But I can, on the basis of what God says, plead with you to hear his word, to respond to his word. Maybe I should, I began with a quite negative analogy of um, something inside us that it might be, you know, death and decay. Well, we're praying, of course, for the women in the congregation who have something inside them and life coming. Here's the paradox for the Christian. If you're not a Christian, I think you've only got death and decay, by the way. That's all you've got. If you are a Christian, you've got the death, decay, you've got the pain and the sorrow, you've got the suffering, you've got, you've got all those things. They've not been taken away, but you've got life. You've got eternal life. I made a mistake at the beginning. I said, we don't have eternal life now. Actually, we do. If we come to believe in Jesus, we are given eternal life. And though outwardly we die, yet we will be raised. And our future is absolutely certain. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. And thank you for the way that it works. We pray that it would work within us. How we love your law. Your words that give light. You spoke and the world came into being. You speak and we are forgiven. Lord, grant that we would know that, that we would have ears to hear, that we would have minds to understand and wills to obey and hearts to respond. For we ask in your name. Amen. We're going to finish by... Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of Solace 
the Centre for Public Christianity, at solace-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.